Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. In my quest to constantly bring different type of guests and have different types of topics, today we're going to talk to the CEO of an association. Now, I do a lot of work with associations in my role as the conference catalyst and being a keynote speaker and a master of ceremonies. And so I get to encounter associations from really all types of different industries, big and small, blue collar, white collar, everything in between. But I am also a very active member of the association in my industry. I'm a pretty active member of the National Speakers Association. And for those of you who listen to this podcast regularly, you've heard me mention that. I've interviewed several of my friends that I have met through the NSA. And today, we are going to talk to Stacy Tetchner, who is the CEO of the National Speakers Association. Now, the reason I asked Stacy to be on the show is one would think a trade association, you know, someone who works as the the head of a trade association. Come on, that's grandpa's world. Actually, I disagree. The world of associations is being challenged with changes that are going on in our society and differences with the generations. And in order to succeed, associations have to act like entrepreneurs and they have to be willing to take risks and try new things. And I think Stacy is a really good example of that uh, in working with a board uh, as a nonprofit also makes it a lot like working with a board if you have a funded startup. So I'm sure he'll share a lot of really good insights. Hey, Stacy, welcome to the show. Tom, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. No, I'm glad you did it. I want to interview several people from a lot of different types of association, but I also believe you know, start in your own backyard. Start with the people who you know. So you're my first executive from an association uh, in a series of these that I'm going to do over the next few months. Well, then I can say it can only go up from here. <laughs> so Stacy, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into working for associations? You've been at the NSA for a long time. And then we'll talk a little bit about the organization itself. It's an interesting story. I think a lot of us that come to associations never envisioned a career um, at associations. Like you said, back in the day, it was that place you would go after you maybe had a career and just needed a job for a little while longer. Today, it's it's much more, I, I would say associations are a lot of the research and development of what's going on in the business world. And so we have to be scrappy. And so in being scrappy, how I came here was I worked in restaurants while I was in high school, through high school, started college, didn't quite finish college, um, and was managing restaurants, working about 70 to 80 hours a week, and decided, you know, all these salespeople that come in to see me are really cool people, um, and they seem to have time to golf and have a life outside of working. So I said, I want to be one of those. Well, in order to do that, I needed to gain some sales skills. So I went to California Restaurant Association. Um, They had a position open that was um, quasi-service, quasi-sales, and said they would train me how to do the sales side of it. So I took that with the intention of getting into sales afterwards and fell in love with the whole association concept, saw some real possibilities, and after a couple years there, um, saw a, a job, now this will date me, but um, in the newspaper. So on 
on Sundays, um, the newspaper would come out in Phoenix. On Wednesdays, it would make its way to Sacramento. Um, I would type up my resumes and by the following Monday have them back down here in Phoenix. Long story short, uh, I got called and asked to come to work for the National Speakers Association. They couldn't afford to relocate me or anything else, but if I came down here, I could have a job. So that's what I did. And what year, and what year was this? That was 1991. Wow. So you've been there a long time. So I've been here, this will be my 24th year with the organization, and every time I've thought, well, it's probably time they want to get rid of me or I should move on, they gave me a promotion or gave me new incentive to stay. So it's, it is a very exciting group. When you're working with um, the motivators and the trainers and the, the leadership folks from around the world, it is a fun day every day. So what was that original job title? What did you come to Phoenix and NSA? What, what was your responsibility when you showed up? When I walked in the front door, they asked me to be the manager of membership and chapter relations. And by the way, they forgot to tell me we just doubled our dues and we've just told our chapters they can't exist the way they exist anymore. And uh, my predecessor had given two weeks notice and left because she didn't want to do that and handed the reins to me and said, good luck with these. So <laughs> it, it, was, it was a great way to learn, from, um, lear, learn on the fly how to work with some very egocentric folks that um, were used to how things had always been and weren't as open to the change that they talked about um, in, in their speeches. <laughs> Putting that in practice didn't work so well for them. What? You're saying that sometimes speakers have egos? Just a little bit. No once way. in a while. No way. I, 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 I resemble that remark. <laughs> So, so you came there in 1991. Let's talk a little bit about the career path from going the director of, of membership and chapters to being the CEO. So what sort of happened along the way? How did you grow this career? Because a lot of people in the association world, and as I said in the introduction, I've developed a lot of great friendships with people in associations. Some of my best clients have worked, you know, decades like yourself in associations. But most of them, when I ask them how they sort of you know, put together the patchwork quilt of their career, most of them hopped around to two or three or more associations. You did it literally inside NSA. Tell, tell us a little bit about that journey. I did. Well, the interesting thing about Phoenix, um, we are not a mecca of national associations, um, although we do have about seven or eight that are based here. Um, there are not a lot of opportunity for those of us who want to stay here uh, and, you know, I was in the process of raising a family. And um, so as time went on and new opportunities became available, this association happened to buy its um, headquarters building and wanted to renovate it, but didn't have the money to do it all at once. So we moved in, took over half the building, had tenants on the other half. And long story short, as those tenants left and we, we had accumulated enough um, funding we remodeled the other half of the building and turned it into, at that time it was called the International Center for Professional Speaking. And we made it a conference center with the ability at that time when we were, put a little satellite dish on the roof and how we could beam things across the country to other community colleges. Um, and so they asked me to go over and head that, that side of the business up and develop it basically as an entrepreneur and say, okay, Here's the vision. We want to have this many meetings. We want to rent it out this many times and all these things we had never done as an association. And they gave me a key volunteer to work with 
and uh, some some sketched out notes and said, see if you can make this happen. And you know, as, as entrepreneurial ventures go, it, we really had no funding, but we wanted to get this thing off the ground. It was pretty exciting to do. Well, and I think in any industry space, be it, I mean, you know, a lot, I live in Austin, Texas, the technology space gets all sort of the sexy attention in the press, but no matter what the space is, whether it's, whether it's restaurants or, or whether it's healthcare or associations, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to roll up your sleeves and bootstrap something, it's still the same experience. It is. And one thing I will say, you know, I, I work with a lot of different you know, leaders here that work in a lot of different associations and nonprofits. And one of the common threads um, that I like to share with all of them, if you're, if you're working in an association or a nonprofit, you have to keep in mind, nonprofit is your tax status. It should not be your business strategy. <laughs> so it doesn't make it that much different from being a business. We're all in business. We just happen to do it in different ways. So let's talk a little bit about the National Speakers Association. As I said, a lot of the people who listen know that I'm a big fan. I, I tell people all the time that my career wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't be in business today if I hadn't joined the association. But people always ask me, what, what is NSA? So why don't you tell us all a little bit about what it really is, you know, straight from the horse's mouth? Sure. We are the professional trade association, and, and we're probably more prof- um, on the professional side, which means we have individual members versus corporations uh, um, that join us. But we're an individual membership organization for professional speakers or those who aspire to be professional speakers. And so, yeah, the tagline I always use with that is we help speakers speak better, speak more, speak better, and make more money. Um, so we exist really to be best in the world at two things, if you want to take the hedgehog concept from Jim Collins and say, um, we want to provide the best education we can for professional speakers. They should be able to come and learn how to um, advance any aspect of their business from us. And by the way, we do that not with an established book or anything that we, we've written, but we share that from other speakers. So it's about you as a speaker, Tom, sharing your successes with other speakers and also gleaning successes of other speakers for you um, to create a better business. So that leads to the second thing we want to be best in the world at, and that is community, being the premier community for professional speakers as well. So membership organizations, you know, are kind of under, I don't want to say attack, but certainly flux as our society has changed over the last decade or or two with everything moving to online. I mean, it used to be your trade association was the only place you could go to get information about your industry. However, now, you know, I'm I've got my my smartphone in my hand. I could find out information about not just my industry, but every industry, you know, while we're sitting here having a conversation, I could be scrolling through Google and finding out all kinds of information. So, what has really changed in the world of associations and for the National Speakers Association? Yeah, that is a great question that I think a number of associations are still struggling with today. And um, there's a great book written by Mary Byers called The Race for Relevance. Um, is Mary and, I've, and one other gentleman, and I, I apologize, I can't remember their name, his name right now. Um, but it is being relevant. So as you said, today's technology age, you can get any information. You can't get community. You certainly can join. I mean, you and I are members of some of the same social media groups, and you can share things there, but nothing beats the opportunity for face-to-face so if community is part of your strategy, 
how is it that you can use the digital side to supplement the face-to-face side of what you do? Now, on the education side, yeah, could you go pick that up um, by Googling it? You may be able to, but maybe you could also shorten your learning curve when you get together face-to-face with some of your colleagues and say, well, yeah, that's what it says, but here's what really works. Uh, you can't get that through a Google search. And, you know, the other thing, a lot of associations are in the advocacy business. You know, fortunately for us, you know, I'll knock on wood, um, NSA is, does not have to be in that business right now. Uh, we don't have a tremendous amount of govern, government regulation or potential interference. That said, that is a key for a lot of associations uh, in today's marketplace. Who is representing them? Who is the voice? You know, we, we pride ourselves in being the voice of the speaking profession, but that voice, the, the most obvious place for us today is to make sure that speaking has a seat at the larger meetings and conventions um, table. So when the CEOs of all those organizations are there, are we there as well? And um, again, it, it's advocacy. It's an advocacy role that associations play. And, you know, not everybody joins, not everybody believes in that. I get it. But if it didn't happen, imagine where your industry might be. Sure. And I've always looked at being a speaker as being part of the meetings business. And I don't know that all my peers do that, but I think that it does by looking at the bigger picture, you know, as you were saying, of fitting into that pie, it does go back to how you started that answer was it's about being relevant. I mean, you have to know what the industry has so that you know where your little subsection fits in. But you brought up another interesting point and you talked about the fact that you can't get everything from Google. I read something the other day and, and I, I wish I could remember where I read it, but basically it said that Google is great but you can only Google the past. You can't Google the future because all that Google can give you is what's already written down in you know, the digital files of the internet. If you really want to look to the future, you have to be engaged in discussion and conversations with other human beings because that's where ideas are going to come from. It's not going to come from what someone else has already put online. And I thought that was really fascinating. I love that. I, I'm going to use that in other places because I hadn't thought of it that way before. But that is a great perspective. So what can the business world learn from associations and vice versa? What can associations learn from the business world? Well, you know, I think in answer to the first question, um, associations really, we really do get to be that, I mentioned it earlier, research and development. Um, we're the place where ideas can be tested, where concepts can be put out into the industry to see how the industry reacts to them. Um, and that may grow into something bigger for the business world later. Um, I, I do think that the business world can also learn um, from or associations, sorry, associations can also learn from the business world uh, different ways to approach and serve your customers, how to get creative. Um, in today's association management world, if you're not creatively looking for new ways and new services to provide, uh, you're really going to get left in the dust because another group of people will get together and form their own association and do that. Um, and one of the things associations did not do in the past was you know, they basically became the Google. They were a good way to look at the past, but not always the best way to look at the future. Um, for associations to look at the future, they need to look at what are the people in their industry doing what is their pain point, 
um, and how is it that can be best served in an association environment? Well, and one of the things when I talk to audiences, I, I have this whole series about how to be entrepreneurial inside whatever industry I'm speaking to. And I always ask the audience, when I say entrepreneur, what words come to mind? And it doesn't matter who I'm speaking to. They always give me the same words. And the one that always comes out on top is taking risks. Entrepreneurs take risks in order to grow something new and, and create something of value. So, you know, do associations take risks? I would say that past associations didn't take as many risks. Um, but I think to be relevant today, you have to take risks. You have to go out there. You have to try something and see if it works. And if it doesn't, you know, know what your downside is. Don't just go out there blindly and do it. I don't think any entrepreneur would do that. They would say, okay, here's my best case scenario. Here's my worst case scenario. Uh, we do that all the time. We try some things um, and set them up, knock them down. Uh, we, we had one earlier this year uh, or late last year where we actually looked at a new name to help represent our industry and we were going to change our association that way. You know what? It didn't work. We knew what the downside risk was. Uh, we didn't think we would hit it quite as fast as we did, <laughs> but we did. And um, we quickly changed course and said, okay, that didn't work. But one of the things that did tell our membership we're looking for new ways to stay out in front of things. We're not just sitting back and letting things happen to our industry. Well, and without getting too much into the details of that story of the proposed name change, you know, there was a lot of uh, passion for lack of a better term, that came from the membership who maybe might, some parts of it that might have been opposed to changing the name. But what did you learn from going through that whole sort of little mini explosion of some people liking what you were doing, some people not liking, others being indifferent, and then eventually having to back off and change course? What did you learn from that? I, I would say our number one lesson that we learned from that is, first of all, even though your membership and an association or your customers for that, that matter may seem indifferent to something um, or indifferent to your business or association. Um, that doesn't mean they're not engaged. Sometimes they're just sitting there watching it happen and engaging where they want to. Um, and there's a passion that if you go too far off course, they're going to let you know. Yeah. New Coke, the same thing happened to them when they, when Coke wanted to roll out a new flavor of Coke, because they thought they had reached a, a plateau, um, they heard a lot differently from those, those who love their brown sodas. Um, so we, we had the same thing. What is the other thing we learned from it is when you do something like as big as a name change, we treated it much more like a product rollout. And we followed the textbook on how you would roll out a new product. And that is not a name change. So that's probably a good lesson for everybody, no matter what it is, what type of company they're in, is make sure that you don't launch things as a product launch that are not. That's right. Hey, Especially you, those things that people have uh, emotion attached to. And there was a lot more emotion attached to our name than we realized that there was. Well, you bring up an interesting example with New Coke, because that I hadn't thought about that before, but that's really kind of the thing. You know, NSA tried to change their name. Coke tried to change their formula. Uh, the audience said, ah, and they both in both cases sort of, you know, retreated back to the original. But Coca-Cola became a much stronger company over the subsequent decades after that. And maybe you could argue because of that, is NSA becoming a stronger association because of this uh, name change situation? 
I think that we are in the process of doing that. <clears throat> and when, when I say stronger, I think we have reinvigorated a membership that was a little bit complacent before. And I think we are stronger. Just this year alone, um, we probably had twice as many people who wanted to run for the board of directors and get involved in leadership and leadership decisions than we've had before. The great, to me, that's, that is great news because all of a sudden these impassioned people are looking for ways to get more involved in their association as opposed to just sitting in the sidecar and letting things happen. So what advice do you have for people, whether they work for an association or maybe in some other industry that people wouldn't automatically think, wow, that's an entrepreneurial industry? What advice do you have for somebody in sort of a more staid and steady industry who wants to sort of break out and try new things and take risks and expand their future? What advice do you have for them? Uh, number one is get outside your traditional way of thinking. If you have a certain group of people that you listen to all the time or that are your favorite customers or whoever that is, go sit in the other room with those people who you don't usually spend time with. Find out what is it they're saying? What's their pain point? You may have found um, the pain point that you're trying to satisfy for these other, for this first set of folks. But if you really want to expand and get out there and look, you have to go sit in other areas, other places. So for instance, speaking for NSA, if you go back uh, a couple decades, we were we could really have changed our name very easily to be the Keynote Speakers Association. Um, today, we we took a much broader look at who is using the spoken word for and getting a fee for it. Well, that's keynoters, but it's also breakout speakers, seminar speakers, um, consultants are, coaches are, um, facilitators are as well. Even writers are using the spoken word to make money. Um, that helped us open up a whole different group of segments that we could serve and expand our offerings as well as our association. So who are those other segments in your own business that are either underserved or you're not serving right now, but you can actually replicate the same work that you're doing, um, tweak it a little bit and customize it for them and not have to do a whole lot more to expand your business. Well, and podcasters come to mind when you talk about who's using the spoken right. word to spread their message. That's right. In fact, podcasting um, and media in general, and we, we just came off of doing a program in New York City where we brought produ television producers um, as well as radio, print, newspaper, everything. We brought them all together to say, how can speakers use the media to expand their business. And I will say the number one um, session that got the most excitement was when um, they started talking about podcasting and where that's going. CBS has invested heavily into podcasting in the future um, with a um, division of its media company called Play It. And they are investing heavily because they see that as the future as well. But it's all rotating around the spoken word. And I know of two speakers they've already hired to um, create podcasts for them. Something to look at, Tom. There you go. Well, hey, CBS, if you're listening, give me a call. <laughs> hey, hey uh, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what's something cool that the National Speakers Association is doing? What's, what's new and hip in the future? For us... It's interesting because what's new and hip is something we want to make sure that is also sustainable. Um, but I would say the newest, hippest thing is we're actually getting in the same business you are. We have taken our 
audio programs and turn them into podcasts. We have, we're really looking at how can we create a division of our business that really is a media-focused business because media is the number one way to um, influence the buyers of speakers as well as find new people who may not even consider themselves speakers that we want to get in these different segments of the business that we have. So what's something you see somebody else doing? And maybe it's a different association. Maybe it's somebody in a company. I always like to ask guests not just to talk about themselves and their organization, but I think the best entrepreneurs and those who are entrepreneurial, I think they're observers. So who do you observe out there that's doing something cool? No, a lot of times I, I will look at who are social media influencers and see what they're doing. Um, one of the people I really like to follow is Dan Burris, who's a speaker and a researcher. Um, what I like that he's doing right now is he's working in a lot of industries. He's working with GE, um, even the Pentagon, and saying, okay, what does the Pentagon look like in tw- um, 2025? And so what do we need to do today to start um, turning the boat or you know, making the turn to get where things are going to be in 2025 instead of reacting. So I would say the one thing that I'm really watching is what are people doing to start skating to where the puck is, is is the Wayne Gretzky analogy that may be a bit overused is. Um, But he'd always say, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it is right now. Um, Where is your industry going to be? Where are the people you're serving today going to be? And take into account hard trends and soft trends. What I really love is looking at the research that said, okay, in 10 years, 75% of the workforce will be millennials. So if right now that we're talking about uh, maybe millennials might drive us crazy here or there, the fact is they're not slowing down. They're taking things over. And how is it you can best serve that, that model? Because if not, um, let's go back six or seven years to the Taxi Industry Association. Um, they probably chose to ignore um, or didn't think it was a threat some little company called Uber that was going to come along. Well, look what Uber has done to their industry. Uh, I like to watch and see what are other people doing so they don't get Uberized. <laughs> That's a great example. So in addition to being great observers, I also think that those who are really entrepreneurial like to leave their mark. They find ways to give back beyond just serving their company. They try to serve the greater good. So what do you do? Now, we have a number of different things. I, I will tell you that giving back is a, is a cornerstone for our family, um, and I try to bring it to the, or, the organization I run as well. Um, I'll give you one example of one of the things that Unfortunately, we couldn't do this year because we were in transition moving. But around the holidays every year, we like to have a Christmas party at our house. And we like to invite all of our friends, um, all of our clients, everybody over to our house. And we tell them, we don't, uh, as much as we appreciate you coming, we don't need another bottle of wine or a housewarming gift. If you're so inclined, here's the charity we have adopted this year. And we'll send their needs list and they come. And in our best year... I took three carloads of donations um, to uh, half of them went to a pregnant women's shelter. The other half went to the Phoenix Children's Hospital because we had so much that we actually adopted two two charities that year. And it's amazing how when people that you care about find out about these things, it just so happened one year I was signing a contract with a new hotel. They knew that the next week was our Christmas party. Um, I had signed the contract with them. 
and they knew we had adopted the Phoenix Children's Hospital. This is a time when Game Boys were a big thing. I know they're not a big thing now, but they FedExed 10 Game Boys to my house to make sure that that was part of our Christmas party as well. Wow. I mean, I almost get chills at that because that is something that anyone who's listening could find a way to replicate either at home or in their office or, or I mean, it's so simple because it, there's so often that, you know, we give somebody a year's supply of cookies or, you know, a wine of the month club when actually giving something that would really have an impact on somebody else. And we still get to have the party, you know, I think is, yeah. is, is amazing. That just has my wheels spinning for, you know, how can me or, or, or listeners, how can people take that and replicate it? Cause I love ideas when people find ways to give back that are, you know, totally replicatable. Yep. I do too. So Stacy, I really appreciate you coming on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If somebody was listening and, and they'd like to find out more information about you, or maybe they've you know listened and they've heard me talk about the National Speakers Association and, and this little chat put them over the edge. They want to find out about membership. They want to find out how they can be a part of it. How do people find you? Um, find us on the web at www.nsaspeaker.org um, or else... Give us a call. If getting on the web is, is not for you right now, you can always call us at 480-968-2552. So, and I always tell people the best way to learn about the National Speakers Association is to attend one of the national conferences. And so 2015, tell us a little bit about where the summer conference is going to be. We are um, in mid-July. Um, let me pull up the dates while we're talking because I have so many things that go on there. I I spend 10 days at the conference, but the, the meat of it is going to be July 18th through the 21st in Washington, D.C. at the Marriott Wardman Park. We have some incredible speakers. I will tell you, um, we've got Chef Jeff Henderson, who's going to kick this thing off. And he is a guy who's been a chef. He was a chef in his teenage years. He just happened to be cooking meth at that point in time. And <laughs> after, after a little time... Um, in prison and learning from Michael Milken and some of the other folks that were there, he turned that in. He turned into a legitimate business and is a chef today and helps out tremendously. Um, we're going to have George Takei. Many of you oh know my. as Sulu from Star Wars, but he has actually taken that and turned it wait, into. Wait, 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 wait! From Star Trek. Star Trek. I'm not going to let you get away with that. No, yeah, don't. Can you tell I'm not necessarily a Trekkie? So from Star Trek, you're correct. But he will be there, and he's going to share some amazing stories. I mean, he actually started out um, in one of the internment camps um, during World War II and went on to do some very successful things in life. And the last one that I'll leave you with is um, someone who speaks to my heart. A lady named Immaculate is going to come. She was at the um, – she was a victim of the Rwandan genocide. Her family was. She happened to be saved by staying in a neighbor's house, locked in his bathroom for almost three months, I think it was. Um, came out a, a stick, but came out, had lost her entire family, and in the power of forgiveness has gone on to create a great story and gone back face-to-face, found the individual who killed her family and forgave him to his face. Um, that, is a, that is a powerful story. So you'll be inspired. You'll learn um, how to speak more, speak better, and make more money. I hope that you'll come. 
So NSA also does a winter conference every year, and I just have to talk about 2016 because I am really happy. We don't have to talk about what's going to go on because the planning is just beginning. But where is the winter conference in 2016? It is in the exciting city of Austin, Texas. We might all just know someone who lives there. That's right. And I have been lobbying to have a National Speakers Association event here since I showed up on the scene six years ago. So I take personal responsibility that you're coming. Uh, And I will be there and um, I'm buying the drinks for you this time. Absolutely. Well, again, Stacy, thank you so much for being on the show. And for those of you who are listening, I always appreciate the listeners. Drop me a line, send me an email, go on to Twitter at Cool Podcast and let us know that you're listening. If you learned something, you can, you can send a quick note saying what you liked. Also, come back in a couple of days. We will have another exciting interview. But in the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.